Welcome in, everybody, to the Storied Podcast. This week, we're going to tickle the slate on yet another episode, Talking Turkeys. Uh, with season starting all around the United States, we're going to share a Montana snowbird story and a Minnesota special gun story. So, But first, um, we'll talk about our interesting meals we had this week, and we'll kick it off that. You started off, Ruben. Well, my interesting meal I just got done with... Uh... Like, not th- like 10, 15 minutes ago. I guess it wasn't very interesting. It was just, uh, just, uh, you know, tried and true, always good. And I just took some, uh, elk loin, uh, part of the back strap, some, uh, pieces and had them defrosted, just kosher salt, pepper, garlic powder, a little bit of oregano, toss in, uh, Flaming hot skillet and butter after I'd already sauteed some onions in there and uh, threw a couple of tomatoes to finish and uh, cooked them medium rare and uh, ate them with some A1 sauce. It was really good. Like, it was just so good. I normally cook them in bear grease um, and, and just throwing the butter in there gives it that extra fatty flavor. I mean, obviously, bear grease is fat, but... Um, and it cooks, cooks things really well. Cause it's like a high temperature medium and it doesn't like smoke when you get it real hot and it sears stuff really nicely, but I just haven't cooked with butter in a while. How long are you going on each side? Just a quick, psh, psh, really? No, they're pretty thick. So I, um, you left the whole back, like backstrap piece full, right? Yeah. I just cut it. So yeah. if you have your backstrap, backstrap coming off of the animal, just, if you were to slap it on the table like that, I I just made these cuts about an inch thick, and they were just big chops like that from an elk. So like mm-hmm. you know on a deer that that might be pretty yeah. small. Yeah, these are pretty substantial. I I'm kind of surprised at how much I ate too. I thought I might have leftovers, but I ate them all. I was probably like three quarters of a pound of meat. <laughs> nice when it's and, good, it's good. <laughs> yeah, but I I don't know. You throw them on there, and um, I did one side down for about a minute, flipped it, I sat down for about a minute, flipped it one more time and took them off. And the uh, onions were nice and getting clear, but not totally like um, soft yet. So a little bit of crunch to them, but man, I just, it kind of reminded me of a meal I had in uh, the drift list with uh, Chris way back one in the Turkey, early Turkey days. And he, it wasn't elk, it was steak from a, a beef. Um, yeah. But we made, uh, that with morels and onions fried in butter. And I'm like, that kind of brought me back to that. Ooh, there's was, a seasonal dish right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, yeah. and today in Missoula, it's 77 degrees. First real warm day of the year. It's actually really warm for this time of year. It went from like really yeah. cold to really hot. Yeah. But yeah, I had that. And I'm just like, man, all the grass around here and the lawns are green. And it's like time to go hunt some turkeys. Dang right. Yeah, my dish rolled right into turkey season it was a cream of wild rice soup but instead of i think the it was a recipe my grandmother just picked up from some gal in the grocery store that she randomly met and so yes yep she was talking for about 45 minutes in the grocery store with this random gal and found this recipe so she tried it and i'm like well i would like to try that but with wild turkey breast and then also with my wild turkey stock that I made out of the feet. So, I mean, I think the the bird that we used it out of was dad's last year's bird. But I 
potatoes. I just didn't want to cook it up yet because I don't get turkey a lot. And now it's time to cook it up because season's just around the corner. But but that's what I had. And Real close for you. Two days? Real close. Yep. Wednesday. Today is Monday. So we got two days. So. Now is that the is that the opener like the earliest season in Minnesota? Yep, that's first season. Yep, first season. I know Wisconsin starts the nineteenth, and then I've seen some guys in Iowa doing youth season right now. So I think they'll probably roll into it. Yeah, so we start on Saturday the fifteenth. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so what were you up to out in the woods this past week? Then are you getting ready for this uh, this season coming up? Yeah, I went for a little drive and a little hike and kind of a drive to find turkeys in case what I have planned doesn't work out. And so I found a few strutters and then I went for a hike and watched this one little area and there was a bunch of gobbles. So that's pretty much what I did. Went up kind of, that gave me some good clue to where I'll probably go on Wednesday, but now, probably try to roost them on Tuesday and now these areas that you're going to scout, I kind of always have troubles with this, uh, de- deciding like you go to a new area and I'm assuming you probably, have you walked, have you hiked around a lot in these areas you're checking? You know, I'm pretty well. Yeah. 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 See, I'm always kind of weirded out when I go to an area I've never been and like, you know, I go around and look and call from the road quite a bit just to see if I can get that gobble response to the week or two weeks before season. I'm always torn of whether or not to like go in there after I know there's birds and try to see where I'd be, you know, setting up. Or if you just want to leave it totally alone and just sneak in there. Cause I mean, the Turkey kind of has its advantage on you if you don't know the layout, but you also, you know, can booger them up a little bit if you walk around in there. Yeah. Well, I I feel like the thing on public land is nice because if you do booger them up, hopefully you have another option, you know? Yeah. So aggressive, being aggressive is not a bad thing when it comes to that. Yeah. So kind of going into what I was doing this weekend was pretty much the same thing. Working, looking for uh, turkeys um, with Maddie. Uh, mm-hmm. Saturday morning, we drove around and found, uh, we saw 19 legal birds that morning. 19 like, birds? 19 legal birds. We probably saw, cool. I don't know, like 30, <laughs> 30 turkeys. Are they all flocked? What are yeah, they doing? Three this different right now? flocks. So that wow. was the thing. It was like they're still balled up in like very specific spots. Most places I'm not seeing turkeys, but then all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, there's like 15 of them right there, you know? Um, yeah. And they were gobbling their heads off. Every single group had strutters out, gobbling everything. And we were kind of, I don't know, we were messing around a little bit out the window, calling them just to make them gobble back at us they're on private there where they were but a couple of those spots have public really close by which i like and i don't like because i just feel like there's gonna be people in there for sure and that's probably like there's definitely people that know those turkeys are there and know that spot and i'm like the new guy on the block but maybe if i wait until wednesday or thursday and get a hunt in before work during the week after opener is over you know Maybe, maybe. Like, I mean, if you can, there. if you can get in there, you you're watching them now. Even those guys that probably have hunted turkeys there year after year, if you have a little more clue where they are at that moment, I mean, that's going to put you in a better situation than they they will. So, 
Yeah, but like I was saying in Montana, uh, especially with the late winter like this, everybody knows the turkeys are just on the hay piles and the bottoms and the people's pastures. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> yeah, true. Um, but yeah, and then uh, that was that was the one day, and the next day, Sunday, uh, Maddie and I went out to. We got permission on a, a friend we know is letting us hunt his uh, property, and has had some turkeys coming through in the mornings consistently not every day but like a few days out of the week with a couple strutters so we went over there and i mean number one goal opener is to hopefully have maddie get well get a turkey would be great but just have a good good hunt you know um and uh we'll play that out until either she kills one or she gets tired of it maybe she won't get tired of it but what was her thought on the scout what was her thought on the scouting see here in the turkeys and Oh, she was loving it. I don't know if I don't know if uh, she was loving it the way I was loving it because I was getting super excited because I was thinking we're gonna go kill these things, you know. Uh, and she was I, just uh, mystified by the beauty of the <laughs> the wild bird. turkey. Yeah. No, yeah, she thought it was pretty fun. Um, and being up at that time in the morning, we saw a bunch of other animals too. We saw deer, elk, like yeah, it was great. But um. Yeah, as soon as as soon as she either kills one or wants to take a break, it's I'm gonna grab a gun and head out to some other spots I know. Um, and actually, I think she's running a race Sunday morning, so I know I'm gonna be hunting Sunday morning on public somewhere. Oh, not encouraging her on in a race. You know, I should have brought that up. <laughs> no, but I her, didn't say that. I didn't say that. Yeah. Her and her friends were trying to get me to do that race three months ago. And I was like, when is it? They're like April 16th. I'm like, God, ah, no, that's, that's Turkey mm-hmm. opener. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we got some good Intel on where there's some birds. We got a lay of the land on the private we got access to, and hopefully things, uh, come together. It's been really warm. Uh, the, the two days in the weekend were really nice. And then today was like, certifiably hot for early april it was 77 um and then tomorrow it's supposed to be like 50 and rain and then the next few days is supposed to be snow <laughs> so yeah, uh but then back the we get to the weekend and it's going to be back to 60 and sunny which folks the time to turkey hunt is that first nice bluebird day after a storm front like that you get three days of crappy weather and they don't feel i mean they'll still be doing some some strutting and stuff, but like that first day where the temperature comes back up and it's calm out, no, they're going to be going off. Does that segue right into your story you had last year? Uh, snow? yeah. Like snow and then all of a sudden I, kind of reverse, kind of reverse though. So like I was just talking about how we're going to have snow and then it's going to get nice. Well, that day it was nice and then it turned into snow. So. I think that was uh, last year, the second day of season. First day of season, I was out with my boss, and got we got a turkey. He, he shot one. I helped calling it in. It was a pretty good hunt. And, um, well, no, I'll take that back. The night before opener, it snowed quite a bit. The spot we hunted was one of the only spots without snow just because of the way the aspect of the hill was, and it was lower elevation. Um but we went to some other spots about half an hour, 45 minutes away, and there was three inches of snow on the ground, like straight up. It wasn't even like melting at all. But by the next day, it had warmed up. 
And so I want it in this spot that's um, hard to get to. I won't say why because I don't want to give anything away here. And um, about like, you know, there's limited public areas around Missoula and I don't really want to talk too much about the specifics of these spots. But anyways, I knew I was going to be the only one in there pretty much. Like I would be very uh, surprised if anybody was in there. And also this particular spot, if nobody was parked there before I got there, I knew for sure nobody was in there because this is one spot that you can go in. So I had uh, been fall hunting in there for some other stuff um, and uh, saw a decent amount of turkeys. So I went back in there and actually I think I was on the phone with you the weekend before when we were trying to plan that bear trip. I was down on the river listening for gobbles and uh, there's a whole pile of turkeys in there. And so I went in and I, I got in there about, oh, it, it was starting to get light. I was a little bit late. I was like kind of worried, but I wasn't hearing any gobbles. And then all of a sudden about, I was standing there for like 10 minutes and I'm like, it's pretty light out. They should be starting to fire off. And then all of a sudden, yeah, the whole, the whole canopy started going nuts with gobbles. I don't know how many turkeys were gobbling. I think there were four or five <laughs> in this one area. And so I snuck in and there's all these, uh, they're up in these cottonwoods and it's it's light enough out and there's enough uh, leaves on the forest floor that it's pretty loud. So I can't get super close without, you know, them seeing or hearing me. So I kind of like set up, set up a little bit away from them and uh, gets to fly down time. And uh, all the turkeys fly down this little opening in the canopy in a little, little tiny fields, like a quarter acre or something. And I'm on the edge of it and these hawthorns, and, um, actually that's not how it happened. They flew down away from me. So they flew down across onto a hill that was actually on private. And, uh, and so I'm like, well, crap. Cause this has happened to me before in that area. Like, you know, deer hunting, like they skirt you and they go mm -hmm. up there and use it quite a bit. And you, you, it's, it's so painful. Cause you're like only a hundred yards from where you could, set <laughs> yeah. up but you can't. And so I can visibly see these turkeys strutting on the hill and they're working up and away from me. And I'm like, oh, that's not very good. And it's very frosty out. There's all this like, you know, reed canary grass and everything. And so like everything's really loud on the forest floor. And behind me, I hear it. And I'm like, that's not a turkey for sure. But it might be a deer. And I hear it starting to run. And it's pretty close behind me. I'm like, okay, this is kind of odd. Oh. And then it starts freaking like full on, whoosh, like running directly behind me at me. And I had made some hen calls before this. And I was like, okay, this could be a coyote or a freaking bear coming in to like try to grab a turkey. <laughs> Eat you. So I swing around my shotgun when it's super close. And at about 10 yards, I swing around on it. It stops. It's a freaking Wolverine. And it bounds like five yards, stops on the base of this big cottonwood stump, looks at me for like one second, and then turns and freaking runs away. And I was like, "Holy shit!" I didn't I like. I didn't want to believe it was a wolverine because of like I'm not in really wolverine habitat <laughs> in the bottom of the valley. Like most people would associate wolverines higher on the mountain or even alpine stuff a lot, you know. And I'm like, "All right, Ruben, like." You have mm -hmm. a degree in wildlife. 
that was a wolverine like I, there's no other animal that could be the only other animal that could have been was like a badger but they don't move like that and they don't like color different i'm like that was a freaking wolverine it had the long you know bushy tail yeah, it's tricolored yeah. had like the dark strip of fur down the middle it's lighter on the sides and it had huge claws and then like the animal is probably like 40 pounds and i was like whoa that was crazy and awesome and then like i started thinking to myself well, shit, am I going to be calling this thing back into me all morning? I don't want to mess with a Wolverine. Like, if I had known the thing was a Wolverine before I saw what it was, I might have just shot it because, like, those things are ferocious, you know? Um, and and I don't think they're actually protected in Montana. I wouldn't have wanted, yeah. I wouldn't have wanted to shoot it anyway. Uh, but, I mean, those things are gnarly animals, and if, if I knew it was a Wolverine coming in that close, I probably would have been ready to, you know, just – yeah yeah anyway so i'm sitting there and now i'm like thinking to myself well swing and fire yeah so the other thing about this wolverine being in here is now this wolverine's freaking hunting these turkeys too and i'm like really like not liking the situation all of a sudden i hear on the hillside (laughs) and then wings and i look up and that freaking wolverine had gone up there and it scared the whole flock off the hill and they come cruising back and land in the trees right above me and I had already been craw- belly crawling across this opening to try to like set up around on them. So I'm caught on my belly prone in the middle of the open forest floor. And there's literally like 12 turkeys in the trees directly above me. And I'm, I'm sitting there with my shotgun. I'm like, look, you know, you, you're like looking up with your eyeballs or you can't move your head. And it's like making me have a headache. And they're sitting up there, and I'm like, okay, they got to calm down and fly down at some point. I don't know how long they're going to stay up there. Um, and I think I, like, laid like that for half an hour. And, like, my, you know, my arm was falling asleep. I was getting a headache, and I'm, like, trying not to move at all. Because, I mean, there's, you know, turkeys have the best eyesight in the woods, and their hearing's crazy. And they have, when they're up in a tree, they can sense everything. And they're and up so, in a tree right now. They can actually, see you. <laughs> at one point I looked up and I'm like, dang, that sucker's yep. almost close enough. I could just sh- pull up and shoot it. But yeah, it was a big time right, right above me. And um, what was it? I was, Tom uh, right there? I wasn't going to do yeah. that yeah. For, for a lot of reasons. One, I don't know if I'd ever shoot a turkey out of a tree just on principle. Because <laughs> that's their, like, when they're up there, they... Yeah, they think they're totally safe, and it's like they're just sitting duck if you really want to do it. Maybe not in that situation, but definitely like at dusk or dawn before they're off the roost. Like they sit up there, and they probably won't fly away, you know, until you get right. You you could get in shooting range for sure if you're in there. But um, so I'm waiting, and now all of a sudden, one hen flies down, another hen flies down, and they're like flying down about eighty yards away from me across this little clearing. And I'm like, okay, are these guys, like, these two toms right above me going to, like, calm down? And I'm sitting there, and before they fly out of the tree, start gobbling again. And I'm like, okay, I guess they don't know I'm here somehow. And then they flew down. And so I, like, moved up to this log because they were about 80 yards. And I see them, you know, strutting and spitting and everything, and the hens are pecking away. And I got up, and I got... Uh, there's a big down cottonwood and I cr- belly crawled to that one. I looked over and I got my gun over it. And there was a time at like, oh, I don't know, 30 yards, but it was like a lot of grass and twigs and stuff. And like, I could barely see his head through the opening. And I'm like, 
it's 30, 35 yards. I'm not, I'm not sure. Cause your perspective is a little off when you have that much stuff in between you. And then also like anything would like soak up some pellets. So I'm like, and I'm already using, Oh yeah, folks, I use a uh, two and three quarter inch chamber 870. So uh, I'm shooting cause you can't find really good <laughs> Turkey loads, at least not for paint a bunch for them. I'm shooting like uh pheasants, lo- pheasant loads with five shot out of that thing at these things. So my effective range is about 30 yards. And um, I pulled up on the one. I could have probably shot him, and then I didn't feel comfortable, and I waited. And then that began the long saga of me belly crawling around, following these damn turkeys up and down this stretch of public for the next four hours. It was a bunch of hands in like three times and they were all, you know, no, two times and they were all, um, you know, hand up and they were just, they were just displaying the whole time. And that's actually how I was following them around. It's pretty hard to see hens when they're poking through the brush and stuff, but I could just keep following the tips of the tail fans when they're walking through the woods, little buggers. And, uh, so I literally would like wait for them to move off kind of like skirt around them with the topography, get ahead of them and then see them again. And then they'd obviously not come in range and they definitely weren't coming to calls. They weren't even gobbling anymore. They were just strutting and following these hens around. And I, I was belly crawling around and I, I give myself a lot of credit. Honestly, I was like freaking Rambo. I was within like 60 to 80 yards of these things. Like for ever, it was like, I just kept following them around. I don't know if that means they were really dumb turkeys or if I was just pretty good, but <laughs> none of them picked me off. But it was getting to the point where I was getting so sore, like crawling around like this, like lower back, arms, everything, neck, because you're always like prone and looking up with your muscles. Head. You probably never really use too much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And always having to carry the gun around and move it around and yep. stuff. And um, finally, they like moved past me another time. And I'm like, OK, I'm just going to make a huge move ahead of them. I know this strip of timber and I'm going to go like 200 yards ahead of them. And uh try to um just really predict where they're going and then just sit and like not let them just come into me instead of like doing this like kind of like catch-up game the whole time so i do that get ahead of them and it, it had throughout the morning it was nice and warm but overcast and then all of a sudden this temperature started to drop and it started to rain a little bit but like it didn't rain much until it started to like snow and like big snowflakes like you know heavy wet spring snow and all of a sudden I look over and I see a red head coming through the bush, like, you know, 80 yards away. I'm like, Oh shit, here they are. Like they're, I, I they're lining was up it, with where I'm going to be. Was this first season? The, this was second day of the season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think like April 17th or something like that. Yeah. And, um, so they're coming, they're coming down and I'm getting set up and then they just, they like stop, they hold up there and there's like, it starts to snow a lot harder and then they just kind of went into their like sad turkey thing when it gets to be bad weather yeah i don't know if you ever seen they like literally they just all kind of like get under like a little tree or something and then they just like kind of tuck their head their neck in and they just stand there and they don't do anything every once in a while they'll like ruffle their feathers to get like snow off of them but they just stand (laughs) there they look so sad and i was like okay well I, i actually there was a tom about 60, 70 yards through the brush this way. And then the other Tom was with these hens about 40 yards from me to my left. I'm like, okay, I need to close like 10, 15 yards towards them. 
but it's going to be hard because it's snowing and I'm in brown camouflage, you know, and they're sitting there in a little dip. And I just like went one foot at a time for like 10 or 15 minutes to gain like 10 yards. You know, I'd just make one movement, stop, look at them, see if they notice anything, move my other arm, you know, just super freaking slow. Finally, I got to this tree I got my gun up and they actually started to like kind of walk around a little bit at that point, which was good because the Tom was with the hens close enough where like, you, you know, you don't want to get any other birds with your shot pattern when you're yeah. shooting, especially at like a edge of range kind of shot. Yeah. And um, so I actually had my bead on this thing's head for like a few minutes before he finally moved out of the way of the other hens enough. And then, yeah, I just squeezed the trigger and boom. And he just, I don't know if it was 25, 30 yards. It was a good shot because he just totally, you know, tanked it, like just fell. And as I shot, all the other hens like ran and kind of took flight for a second. And they're all like yelping and running. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, so in Montana, I have two tags like for this area. So as soon as I hadn't thought about this, as soon as I shot, I jumped up too because I, I once I knew knew that Tom was dead. Like I, you know, you know when they're dead when you shoot them good. Yeah, just yeah, like, when they fold like that. Yeah. yeah. And so I jumped up and uh, let out a few like distressed hen yelps myself and my diaphragm and ran to this next tree and then sat down and shut up because I wanted to like be in the mix of like the commotion. So like that other yeah. Tom I knew was over there, he couldn't pick out like me from the other turkeys. And so I sat down and I waited there for like five minutes. I peek around and I like look and like that Tom is still just sitting there sleeping like the other ones were. Like, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if he poked his head up when I shot or not, but he's just still there with his head tucked into his feathers, just sitting there. And he's, he's a big Tom. I mean, this is like a stomper, like for Montana. Like this the is old a big beard one. dragger. Just, yeah. I mean, like, you know, he, he could have had a foot long beard, which for out here is like the top of the top really. Um, so I sat there for like five minutes, letting the commotion, you know, after the commotion, let everything settle down. And then I just let out a, and that thing just like awoke from his slumber and just like poked his head up, looked around and then he's coming. I'm like, what the, what are the chances? He like, I don't know why he didn't care about me shooting his friend like 60 yards that way. But, um, so all of a sudden, yeah, he's like sleeping and now he's goblin coming. And then this is where I messed up. So I was behind this big cottonwood and across from me, there's a little dip and this bird is coming and he's going to come through and he's about at 35 or 40 where I can see him. But then he's going to go down this dip out of sight and he's going to pop up to my right at like 10 yards. And like I said, I'm in brown camo. It's snowing and I only have this tree. There's no brush or anything. So I'm like, you know, if I wait for him to come to 10, 15 yards, as soon as he pokes his head over that, you know, if I have my gun on them, I could kill him. But if I don't, he's going to see me like playing his day. Mm. So I'm like, well, and then he's standing there right now at 35, 40. So then I shot and rolled him and he jumped up and ran away. And I, I jumped up too right away. And I had, you know, jacked another one into the chamber and I was like, kind of like running. Cause I knew like, as soon as I shot, I knew like he got hit, but he's not dead for sure. And yeah. he's like, he gets up, starts sprinting away. 
I think I actually took another pot shot at him, like, but I think like I was swinging on him and I hit like a tree or something in between us. And then I followed his tracks because it was, you know, very fresh snow. Yeah. And that thing, that thing was at a dead sprint for like 200 yards and not a speck of blood. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess he's going to be fine. Maybe I just totally missed and hit him with my water or something. I don't know. <laughs> and so I was like, well, dang. That was kind of dumb to shoot that. That's another re- reassurance that I cannot shoot out to that distance with this gun. But um, need a new gun, maybe. Yeah, but I don't want to spend the money. Uh, <laughs> I get you. Um, so I went back, and that other bird was there, folded up, and he's pretty nice, Tom. He's really pretty, and it was sweet. I've like I think we were talking about two podcasts ago about the one in Utah. This is the only other turkey I've killed in the snow. Um. So I, I got some pictures in the snow with him. Uh, and then, you know, the rest of the season, I hunted that Tom that I shot and ran away. Like three times I was on that bird. He was very distinguishable because he had a really white head. Like he had a straight white head really when he got worked up and really dark feathers and huge spurs and just a really long, like just an all around huge turkey. And I hunted him like three more times and he gave me the run around three different times. And then I had another guy I know who hunts in there. He went in there and they actually shot at him and missed him. Like we know it's the same bird because of like how unique it is. Like dark the with, bird a with the horseshoe up his butt. <laughs> I call, yeah. I, I call him big bastard. And yep. he, uh, he evaded us so that, that if he's still alive, and I end up killing that thing this spring, that would be like one of my favorite turkeys ever. Cause like that, that Turkey, first of all, is just huge. And now he's educated like crazy. Um, but I don't know. It'd be hard to imagine that turkeys, turkeys have such a hard time living in general. Something would have gotten them. Maybe not a hunter, but it'd be probably hard to like concur and be like, that was, that was him, you know? Yeah, because it would be like, I mean, I would have to imagine that was like a three-year-old bird last year. So like a four-year-old bird, that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Maybe it would be. Maybe it would be like the biggest turkey I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> a 30-pound western bird right there. That would be wild. Those don't really <laughs> around here. No. But yeah, so I mean, that was the story. Uh, and then I had to uh, tote the thing back. And uh, actually, it was good that I didn't kill that other one right away because then I got to hunt uh, in two different, two more spots. And I shot two more birds. And because uh, in Montana, you can get like a lot of tags <laughs> if you're willing to drive. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was uh, that was my first turkey last year. And it was in the snow. And it was definitely opposite of what I was saying with like the bad weather coming in this week and becoming good weather it was vice versa um but that actually helped me out too because it got those birds to stop because it started snowing otherwise i would have been just cat and mousing them the whole day and who knows if i would have gotten close enough or i mean it was just a matter of time until one of those hens picked me off you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was uh it was very physically exhausting i was super dehydrated after that one Cause normally I bring in like a one water bottle with me when I'm on turkey hunts that fits in my like vest. And I was out, I was out there chasing those suckers around from like 7am to one. I killed the turkey at one. So it was like nice. six hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe there's a better way to kill a turkey than that, but uh, that's how that happened. And then the, the coolest thing though, was seeing that Wolverine trying to, 
eat mm. me because I thought I was a turkey. That was I don't that will never happen to me again. Oh, hopefully not. I mean, you hear a lot of stories of guys calling turkeys and something comes up upon them, you know? Yeah, but the chances that it's a wolverine? Yeah, yeah. Probably not likely. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, so that was the first shot last year. What's your your Minnesota story? Let's see. Yeah, I'm going to start this off. It's kind of my... Like I said earlier in the podcast, my little special gun story. Um, it was a hand-me-down gun that I shot this bird with. And and I guess it pretty much starts when I was in Utah. I was, like I said earlier in some podcasts, that I spent five years in Utah. I worked for the Division of Wildlife Resources there. And, you know, when you spend five years in an area, you meet some people. And so I met this one old wily veteran duck hunter from Nevada named Danny Gilmore. And he was he was a friend of the hatchery and um and you know he'd stop by once in a while and we got talking one time just about duck hunting and he's like, you know what? You should stop over for a beer one time. And in Utah they don't drink as much beer and I'm like, all right, this guy, you know, from Nevada seems legit. You know, big beard, cowboy hat on. I mean a a cool guy, a really cool guy. So I would run by their house all the time. And eventually I actually stopped over and had a beer with them. And their house oversits, it's back back of this cliff a little bit. And it's oversits this big river where two confluence of a river come in and create um, one of the largest uh, northerly flowing rivers in Utah. And then also have a great view. So they have a fire every day right before dinner. Um, Danny Gilmore and, and Gene, uh, they always have a fire and they always have a few beers and maybe some wine before they go in for dinner. And so I stopped over and, you know, being there for five years, I would keep stopping over and stopping over. And we would share stories about duck hunting and he'd show me all what's on the wall of mule deer, elk and stuff he shot. And so we would just kind of bullshit about hunting and and then you'd tell me about what he what he kind of does on the river he taught me how to pretty much jump shoot in utah that's really the only tactic tactic to do or hunt ducks you know out west so he he had this i think it was a honda rancher and he had he modified his exhaust so it like looped more so it was it was dampered it was quieter and then he had a had a box on the back for his uh, dog, Walter. And so he would drive out to these points and glass and look for ducks. And if he saw any ducks, he would, uh, you know, plant a stock. He'd take his dampered four-wheeler down to the bank and then make a move on these ducks and shoot them and stuff. So we always had a good time talking hunting stories and stuff like that. And then eventually, you know, I lived there five years and eventually I wanted to move back closer to home. And that was Minnesota. So when I got this job over here, um, he told me to, he's like, you should stop on over. Stop on over and have another beer, you know, with me. And and we'll just catch up before you go, I guess. So I stopped over, you know, we reminisced and stuff like that. And um, then at the end, he's like, well, c- come on over in here. It was his back loading room. We usually set up kind of his fire on the edge of his garage and stuff like that. So he's like, come on, come back here. So he took me back into his loading room and 
and handed me this Browning pump shotgun. And then on the on the stock of the gun, it had DG Danny Gilmore on it. And he's like, "Here, I think I think you need to need to have this this shotgun." And I'm like, "What for?" He's like, "You tell me all these these hunting stories about jump shooting back home in 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 central Wisconsin." about jump shooting these uh, geese and shooting them at far distance. He's like, here, this will really help you. So he <laughs> gave me this 10-gauge 10, 10 pump-action shotgun, and it actually it drops the shells from the bottom. It's pretty cool. You pump, and it you know ejects from the bottom. It's, it's, a, it's a sweet gun. It's heavier than heck. But so when I moved back, I'm like, you know what? I should take this shotgun out turkey hunting. You know, yeah, Danny's like, it'll, it'll kill anything that walks, you know? <laughs> so, um, so I did, you know, it was first, this was last year, I guess the year before I took it out and shot a bird too. So now it's kind of my, my traditional thing to do is call Danny and tell him about the stuff I shoot with his gun. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, last year it was first season, um, and at this time, you know, I was working two jobs. I didn't have much for scouting. It, it helped being here already one full year. So I already kind of had an idea where there's some birds. And, um, you know, this property that I kind of found and would go to had these kind of deep finger ridges all in public. And then, you know, it had big white oaks on these tips of these little points and stuff like that. And then it had these big crowns with just a little bit below. It had these benches that kind of just ran around the whole, all these finger ridges, like just below had these benches. So it was point benches, perfect area for a turkey to come off the food, fly into these benches and fly into these trees for the roost. And they were coming from food. So there's food behind them. And then there's just a big, big deep valley that they can, you know, if a predator comes, they can fly off into. So I'm like, I think this is going to be a good spot. Um, so I, at this time working the two jobs, I try to get off of work from my second job at enough time of the daylight that I could go out and drive around in the roads. Cause you know, a lot of times public, it's like, Oh, it's easy access from private, but it's a long access from public, you know? So it was one of these spots where it's like, all right, it's a mile, mile away through access through public, but it's kind of right on the road and I could kind of see a little bit where these birds are. I really didn't see too much. So I actually hiked up to this, uh, the other side of where I thought these birds were roosting and I would just kind of sit there and watch, like, listen, you know, I didn't really want to call it these birds because I'm like, all right, these birds are off the road. I don't want to really want to educate them and stuff. So I just listen, sit and listen. I could see a little bit. There was a CRP finger that it had. And then there was some uh, um, kind of row cropping, you know, they do for irrigation um, or not irrigation, but uh, um, runoff kind of prevention when they have like strip crop, I guess what I'm trying to get at, but they do a little of that. So I could see a little bit of that field and I saw some turkeys, they went up and they roosted. I could kind of hear them faintly and knowing what I know now, if you can hear a turkey roost, they are very close because <laughs> I'm like, Oh, okay. That's faint off. They're faint off. There goes a group and there goes a group. But so you're talking about them flying up. Yep. Flying up. Yeah. 
yeah, if you can hear them flying up, they're close. (laughs) And at that, at that point, just like your season, I mean, we were kind of having the same season here. It was very cold, wet, windy, just, just, just ugly stuff. Um, so, uh, I was thinking where I kind of heard those went up, went up. I'm like, okay, they're going to be on that leeward side of that point, right? They're going to be out of the wind and maybe in a little, little, um, cut of that point a little bit and out of the wind. So I'm like, all right, they're on that leeward side. They're out of the wind. And, um, hopefully I can kind of sneak around them because my access, I was thinking like, I'm like, how do I access these birds now? you know, and try to stay on public. So I accessed all the way around, hugged the fence line of this private and public all the way around these birds. So I didn't walk underneath them. And so I walked all the way around on the backside and I'm like, okay, they're going to feed out. This is kind of a strut zone because I remember going up in there and I could see all the, all the leaves kind of rippled up from them scratching and all this stuff. I'm all right. You know, this is open hardwoods and a little bit thicker on the outside. They're going to come in here. This would be a good strut zone for them to go out to the field before they um, go out there. So I'm going to loop all the way around. And also this property has a lot of deer. So I'm like, deer throw a wrench in the whole thing. Because if you like, if you go close to them and there's deer there, they run around. They're probably going to fly off the roof somewhere else where you don't want them. Well, so, also, like, yeah, yep. you probably weren't using decoys, but that those times we hunted over at your property, yeah, yeah, the deer come out and they blow at your decoys, and the turkey might think the decoy is real, but the turkey definitely knows that a deer's upset, so they they don't come in. But mm-hmm. anyway, sorry to interject. That no, no, that that's, deer that's screw a, things up. That's exactly what I was thinking in my access route. I'm like, okay, there's gonna be a bunch of deer, and I'm gonna blow them out. Like they're gonna see me, and also. I thought this pattern too, because the Northwest wind, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go on the Southeast corner of this. So of this property, so they don't smell me and blow and make more noise. I'm like, they're just going to see me walking in the dark. They're going to run away and not blow my hunt. So I woke up in the morning early. I got up in there. I did the access route. I wanted to blue deer off. They didn't blow. <laughs> and so I got where I thought they were. And I'm like, oh, I gotta be close. So I just sat there. It was dark, dark at this time. Um, and I'm like, I'm just going to sit here, kind of just relax. And uh, I'm just going to wait for the sun to come up a little bit so I can see these treetops. Cause I'm like, they're right here and I don't want to get into their bubble totally. And you know, them pitch off on back down in that Valley. So I kind of scooted up in there just waited till, till it got a little bit light. And then I was glassing and I'm like, sure shit there's there's a damn hen right at the tip of the point in this oak tree just getting pelted by this wind like it was not a nice day it was it was misty and just wind like just going helped with your noise cover getting in though then yep totally totally yep and i knew that was going to be a factor that's why i'm like okay if i bump these deer hopefully i can bump them you know away kind of directionally bump these deer away from where these where these turkeys are but um yeah, I saw that hen and I'm like, all right, not on the leeward side of the hill. They're getting pelted by this dang northwest wind. It's actually blowing up the canyon to where these turkeys are roosted. And I'm like, they're right in the wind. And I'm like, all right, all right, that's opposite what I planned. So 
which was fine. And so I, I moved in a little closer and I'm like, I'm going to get set up right here. There was a multiple down, a big down oak tree with a kind of a branch top. And I'm like, I'm just going to nestle in here. They come flying down. They're going to come down this ridge right to this food. And, um, as the day got lighter, um, I heard some gobbles off to my other side, to the east, kind of where I came from a little bit. And I'm like, all right, there's two gobbles there. And then all of a sudden I heard them fly down and they came running over to where that hen was. And then I'm like, oh crap. And I called a little bit. I didn't call much because I'm like, all right, if I call that hen's going to know exactly where I'm at. And I don't really want to let her know where I'm at. So, because I want her in my wheelhouse. So she's going to be a live decoy for me. Um, but as those other two toms were gobbling off, there was one right next to me too, right next to that hen, right in that area. And I'm like, okay, I set up right on the crest of this point. I don't think this is going to be a good spot. I got to be on that other side. These toms are coming around this point and sitting right on this tip of this point underneath that hen, just gobbling their dang guts out. I'm like, I got to be a little bit on this other side. Like I said earlier, there was these benches and it was kind of steep off the outside. So these turkeys flew off the roost. These two kind of satellite birds flew off the roost and were coming right in. And they were just strutting on this bench off of that point. And I'm like, I got to be within visual sight of that. And then also that Tom's there. So I can see that Tom with my binos. I'm like, I'm just going to sneak a few trees up forward here so I could see that bench. And so I snuck up to this down oak tree and set up uh, at this time. That was my first kind of self-filming stuff. I set up on my camera, my GoPro, I had everything ready to rip. And, and I heard that Tom fly down and I'm like, all right, time, time to call that hen pitch. I think that hen pitched off that hen went the other way. And I'm like, Oh crap, this isn't good. <laughs> so those Toms just kept, blowing their guts they were just gobbling like no other but so i called and then they were just gobbling 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 and they were just strutting that bench and i barely could faintly see that that bench where they were at and i could see them and i'm like all right that's i was ranging these little little holes in front of me i'm like that's 50 yards so if they come across which they are right now I'm going to have a 50 yard shot. And at this point, I never knew that. Well, I did know a little bit, but I mean, the, the Toms are strutting just on the outside of the, the, this hen, me, me calling because I'm going to accept them as a breeder or that, you know, and they're just, they're supposed to sit on the outside and just display their infection. And I wasn't moving. And I'm like, they can probably see me and stuff, so I can't move. So they were kind of hung up in that situation. I didn't know as much as I do now, but they were hung up and they finally, I just shut up and they finally came a little closer to me and were gobbling. And I'm like, I'm just going to just be quiet here and hopefully make them close the distance because I definitely was calling probably too much just because they were, they were very receptive to any calls. And so they, they came, both those toms are strutting, strutting, strutting. And then all of a sudden they're getting closer to that gap. And I pulled that 10 gauge up on that big down oak log. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready. And it was that one time popped in and he was full strut. And I'm like, 
who, all right, I'm just going to wait till it kind of goes down. He kind of went down to press those feathers, stuck his head out, and boom, dropped them like a pancake. And then as <laughs> I walked, as I walked over there, I'm like, this seems like a far way. And I'm like, 50 yards, I'm fine with. And I'm like, let me pace this out. So I paced it out to that where that turkey dropped. It was 58 yards away. Jeez. And I'm like, whoo. There you go, Danny Gilmore, 58-yard poke with the 10-gauge. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that was that was a, a fun bird. And, and I mean, that's kind of the first, first um, actually successful stories of me getting t- turkeys because I used to never really do it, well, you know. you shot some down there in Utah, but those were uh... – those those are all seem like a little bit more predictable, yep. uh, dumb farm birds. Mm-hmm. Um, those easterns, man. This is a thing I've been thinking about lately too. Is uh, even just watching videos from uh, people hunting easterns in the Midwest and stuff. That gobble is so much deeper than these western birds. These western birds sound like a bunch of sophomores compared to that. I mean, they're all like, and those guys are like freaking yeah. thunder, man. I feel like the the Western birds don't do as, I don't know, I don't want to say this, but they're a little more methodical about what they do. Like, say they have a lot, I don't know if it's just like human presence. I think, so I've talked a lot about this with some people, and um, obviously most of the Western birds have been planted here within the last 50 years or so. Yeah. By the Turkey Federation and, you know, other and game agencies and stuff in the eastern united states those birds i mean they were moved too but um you know they've been there longer they probably weren't moved as far not to quite as different uh environments and um you know like moving an eastern from like missouri to like wisconsin is not maybe or maybe southwestern wisconsin is not maybe as big of a difference as if you were moving like you know a rio to oregon you know, yeah, <laughs> or yeah like, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think that the, they just, um, I think those birds and they get hunted way more for sure. We talked about that yeah. two episodes ago, how Wisconsin shoots as many turkeys as there are in the whole state of Utah every spring. Yeah. So like over, over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the fact that the Easterns are like less out of their environment that they, you know, were adapted to live in. And also the fact that they get hunted so much more than these Western birds, I think that this is another thing. Everybody's like, oh, the birds get smart. And I feel like they, they kind of do. But also I think that it's like, you know, everybody's like, oh, they'll gobble back at you and it'd be easy to kill the first weekend. But then they get smart. And I'm like, I think a lot of that is that just the dumb birds are dead. Yeah. So like, so like out here, less hunting-ish that's picking up now. Yeah. Um, And uh and they're not like kind of from the areas around here and they're probably from a small group. They're probably not, I don't know, maybe as genetically diverse and don't have as much of a, they just don't seem as wily. Those Easterns, man, they can, they're going to run you around. And maybe some of that is because we just didn't know what we were doing when I hunted Eastern. So it seemed like it was a lot harder, but I just, I feel like Eastern birds, most people I talk to, those Eastern birds are harder to hunt they just yeah i just like, think saying they need, hang up they you, you need to know the basics because they know what they got to do like that hanging up that's a good strategy to survive year after year which 
I mean, that's just kind of normal, you know, how, how things work with the Turkey and you know, how they, how they just set up. I, that's what I learned. I'm like, okay, they value more pitching off. Like if they don't like what's above um, up on that top where they're going to land and go to food, they value that availability to pitch off like very, very highly and see what you, they can see, you know, like visual, like seeing with their eyes and that availability, availability to just escape. Cause they could literally fly almost a, like probably three quarters of a mile. If they just pitched off one of those bluffs, boom, they're gone. You can't well, like if you're people rings. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that's funny too, because you know, there's always that thing out there. Oh, you can never call a Turkey up a hill. And I'm like, after I've turkey hunted more out here, like you were saying, they like being coming up so they can immediately pitch off back. Yeah. I almost think you have a hard time calling a turkey down. down. I, I agree. Feel like I have my success when I'm above them because they are yeah. more likely to feel safe coming up the hill. Yeah. They want to be mean, high. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, you that's their big them. safety mechanism is like pitching off. They just, yeah. And you like, can see a lot better down a hill than up a hill and they rely on their eyesight more than anything. Yeah. So, like, like I said, they're strutting those, they were strutting those benches and I'm like, more I thought about it. I'm like, all right, there's acorns everywhere for them to eat. If they do want to eat like old acorn acorns. And then all of a sudden, if, if I come over that ridge to them, they're putting, they're putting a drop off and like a, a high point. If I come over that ridge, they're going to see me and pitch off and be gone. Yeah. I mean, they, they had a good scenario there. And unless I'm in an ag field or a really big bottom, I feel like if I'm in anywhere with topography, I always find them on the side of the hills. They're not yep. normally on yeah. the tops. You yep. know, the towns can be on the tops because they like to gobble a bunch. But I feel like that's early on in the morning a lot of times or in the middle of the day when they're trying to get a hen's attention. But if they're with hens, and probably the hens are what drives this, They'd like to skirt on the sides of those hills because it's safer for them. I mean, they can hear better. They can see better. They can pitch off. Um, and that's where I tend yeah. to find them out here in Western Montana is just like on the sides is where like the action happens um, in those flat areas. And they, they just seem harder to hunt to me too sometimes. Like we're Maddie and I are going to set up an area where there's a potential to hunt a field edge. And I just don't like, that's not my style. Really. I know people kill a lot of birds off field edges. It normally involves decoys, but like, I don't like being in the position where you can see them, they can see where you're at and you just kind of have to wait for them to decide to work in, you know, like, cause if, if they yeah. aren't, I can't get up and move. They're going to see me, you know? Um, I feel like you really get to know the Turkey when you're hunting in the woods with them. Yeah. Like this was a terrible day. A lot of guys that I talked to in this area never hit turkey, never saw turkeys. They're like, it's just terrible. I'm not hearing any gobbles. And I'm like, holy cow. I heard so many gobbles that wow. people probably hear a lifetime. And I was in the thick of it. And that's in the woods. That's where I, they feel comfortable. Yeah. And one of my buddies back in Illinois, in Charleston, Illinois, when I went to grad school there, he, I'm, this is a good piece of advice. Hunt the turkey, not the gobble. Yep, true. That is it right there. Turkey gobble is head off and never get close enough to shoot that thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. you got to understand why they're gobbling. Yeah. And it's different on time of day, where they are, if they're with hens, if they're not with hens, time of season, what kind of goblin they're doing. Like, and it takes a while to learn that. I mean, a long time. Shoot, I think I turkey hunted for like six, seven years before I killed one. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that segues into like what you learn from your hunt. Yeah. I, f- I feel like some highlights, you know, of your hunt, like what did, what did you learn? Cause each hunt you now knowing what you know now, I feel like you break down that cycle of like, okay, what put me in position? Why did that bird do what they do? Yeah. And, um, predators aren't always a bad thing. Sometimes a wolverine is <laughs> yeah. back on the public. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do a turkey drive for you. Yeah. Yeah. That was nuts. And yeah, I learned that wolverines apparently are in that bottom, but, um, so I would say that, uh, I never really observed turkeys in the middle of the day and when like the weather got bad, like you were saying, you know, everybody's out there when they're vocal and moving around and you're trying to work them. And then it's like, everybody goes to get a late breakfast and they're like, Oh, nothing's going on in the middle of the day. I'm like, well, but what is actually going on in the middle of the day? Like the turkeys didn't just disappear. They're somewhere, you know? So that was, that was interesting to see like how the conditions changed what they were doing. Like they weren't even feeding anymore. And I guess it's hard to say, if it was because of the snow or if it was just because it got to noonish and that's kind of, they just kind of hang out in one spot and don't really move. But, um, I, I think the weather definitely played a little part of that. Cause they just, they hate bad weather. Turkeys are such fair weather birds. I mean, um, and I saw that later that season hunting big bastard again, he was on that hill on private a hundred yards and I was trying to call him over and he was with like three hens. And I was there for like four hours too, waiting for it. And he never came down. He, he actually did come down to within like 30, 40 yards of public and didn't just like strutted around on this point And then went back up. It is so annoying. But, um, the, that day too, it started to rain. And once again, they were pecking away in the grass feeding. Tom was strutting, started to rain. It wasn't a big rainstorm. It was like a 20 minute rain shower. And they just went under these tiny little regenerating pondos. Hardly any cover at all, really. But they just, like, tucked under this tree, and they just stood there and didn't move, period. They just didn't move for, like, 20 minutes. And then the rain stopped, and then they ruffled their feathers, and they started pecking around again. <laughs> so I guess that's another thing that I used a lot in that hunt was um, I use, actually used my binoculars a ton. And I'm hunting thick shit. But I was using my binos to change that focus to look through the layers of brush because your eyes have a hard time focusing on that. So you look through your binos and you might, you know, switch the focus and all of a sudden you're looking through a 20-yard swath of brush in focus back and forth. And I actually a couple times got pretty close to them because I picked them off before they picked me off, which is pretty hard to do with turkeys. But using your binos like that and following them around and that stuff – yeah, I just got better at stalking turkeys that day, I guess, because it was like, take it real slow. Because there were a couple times where I really looked and I like finally picked off a little movement that I probably would have missed if I kept moving fast. And I mean, with turkeys, when the jig's up, the jig's up. They're not coming back. They get out of there. And so, yeah, I guess just methodically moving yeah. through, almost like you're still hunting the woods for deer, like rifle hunting, like, you know, looking take two steps, look again, take two steps, look again. And, um, so yeah, just learn to be patient. They teach you apparently in hunters that not to stalk turkeys ever, which is probably a little bit of a good idea if you're, especially if you're in an area with other hunters. But I mean, I learned how to stalk turkey for turkeys pretty well that day. And, uh, I ended up killing one almost two. 
Yeah. Yeah, I would say what I learned is, like I said earlier, like how turkeys roost. I mean, like what they want, what they value to survive more than comfort. You know, they were right in the wind. I'm like, why the heck are they right in the wind? All right. But and then also, like, how are they using that terrain? Like what what keeps them on this earth year after year, generation and generation? You know, what makes them procreate? And they're on this earth. That's because their eyesight's good. They can see you coming. They could pitch off. They got wings. And then also, I mean, like I didn't explain earlier, like that was pretty open hardwoods on that top. And then also where they were roosting was pretty open in that canopy. So at least you had big oaks. And then all of a sudden you had smaller trees there. So they were in that big oak, but they could pitch right over the top of those trees and into the valley and run around wherever they want. And then one thing I learned too was don't call too much. Uh, I mean, especially in the roost now. I mean, I wouldn't call because that bird has all the advantage in the world. If like turkeys have a very good sense of location. So if you are giving up your jig yeah, before you he even flies down, it's probably not going to work back out to your too calls good for you. On the roost, I feel I like. Would say. I mean, I, I like... Uh, I feel like in our early days, I definitely did that before where I was like, oh, call again, call again, call again. And they actually even shut up on the roost before they even flew down because it was almost like, yeah, like, okay, that hen's like acting freaking weird, you know. But um, yeah. I feel like if you wait, yeah, you might call once to locate them. But yeah. like if they're gobbling on the roost, I kind of like let them gobble. Maybe, you know, something I think might be better than calling is if you're kind of like in earshot of them, just make some scratching. Like maybe, maybe don't call, maybe some scratching. Yep. One, one thing to add to that, I wouldn't even mind if you took your hat or something and (laughs) just to be like, Oh, that hen, that hen that you're right next to, it might've went down, but then all of a sudden you, and then all of a sudden give a location to where you are at. That turkey they have might come, very, like very it might fly down and pitch location, towards like you. I don't, I don't know. So don't I mean, that need, would be worth a try. If you can hear them gobbling, unless it's like a muffled gobble, but if you're like you were close to the roost and you make any sort of hint of a yelp, they're going to hear it and they're going to remember it too. So it's not like, yeah. it's not like, um, oh. well, this is like the opening day last year in Montana, yeah. the day before I, the story I just told with my boss. We called at these two, there were two toms. We called at them for a bunch in the morning. There must have been hens around. They moved off and around the hill, stopped gobbling. Well, we couldn't hear them gobbling anymore. And I, I came over to them because I was like 60 yards behind them calling. We called at them for like half an hour. And I, I walk up to them. I'm like, well, I bet you, like, I wouldn't be surprised if that one subordinate tom comes right around this hill any moment to come back to these hens once that other one kicks them out or once the hens aren't interested. And, like, as I was saying that, you hear, come on, coming around the hill. We didn't even call at him, but yeah. he remembered yeah. we were there. And I didn't even – I don't think I even called at him after that. He gobbled. He was, like, 150. I went back to where I yeah. was before, and I just scratched, and he came right in and got shot. <laughs> So like, that's the thing is they have a very, they, they remember where things are and not yeah. even like right off the roost. Like sometimes I've heard like studies and stuff, they'll come around an yeah. hour or two later, you know, come check up on these other hens that at the time they had a better option, but now they're like, Oh, uh, you mm-hmm. know, gotta go find where that one went. But, um, I guess the moral of the story though, 
Shout out to my buddy Trey Ryan yep. in Illinois. Hunt the turkey, not the gobble. And that's what you were doing. I mean, like we were talking two episodes ago is you, you almost Dang hunt right. turkeys more like whitetails even. You just kind of like read how they're going to act and don't rely as much on like the calling aspect of it. Well, and then I feel like two, the uh, one thing like calling is maybe subjective because it's not just that diaphragm or that slate call you got on you. Like you said earlier, it could be the scratching. It could be the like a hat or some shit you try to, I mean, that's, that's next level well, calling be, because no one else is doing that. Everybody <laughs> else is sitting in their blind, having a beer yeah. and <laughs> oh, paint, paint a picture. Don't do that. Paint no, I'm kidding. No, that I think I hope they do. Cause that, that's, yeah, it's kind of like elk hunting when you paint the I picture. Yeah, make that. the bird think like there's Remy a bird Warren there. In particular, absolutely hates when people compare turkey hunting to elk hunting. But like when you're when I'm calling when I'm trying to dog a bull in and stuff, you're breaking sticks, mm-hmm. stomping on the ground, doing all kinds of other stuff besides blowing into that bugle tube. You know, like you got to sell it. If if an elk hears like the loudest bugles in the world and like no other noises, yeah. that sounds pretty weird. If a turkey's hearing a hen yelping and it's coming in and it gets close enough where it's like, I should be hearing like some footsteps or scratching or something like, you know, that could be the, the way to seal the deal is to add those other elements into your, your convincing story, if you will, you know? And, um, yeah. So got to hunt the turkey and not the gobble. Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) Can't reiterate (laughs) that enough. Yeah. And I don't know if we go into takeaways or. Just conclude it. Well, those because were takeaways. Tactics. Those were tactics. Um, I mean, I'll say the same thing as I did of the one in Utah, uh, which is I just really wanted to kill a turkey. And so, like, you know, like I said in that other episode, many people are like, why, like, why did you put that much work to just kill, like, a little turkey or whatever? And I'm like, well, I had decided in my head that I, the end result, I want a turkey to take <laughs> yeah. home. Like, I'm going to do whatever that takes. And I did dehydrate myself. I think, like, for days after that, my neck hurt because I was, like, in all these weird positions for the whole morning and into the afternoon, like, crawling, belly crawling, all that kind of stuff. But I never gave up on it. And that last part, when I, like, you know, swung all the way around, decided to go even further ahead of them to really leapfrog them instead of just try to stay with um, I was pretty convinced that they were, you know, gone. Like I thought that I had lost them at that point. And I was like, well, I could like leave right now. Cause I'm really hungry, really thirsty. And it's like 1230 in the afternoon, but I'm like, I want to just try it one more time. And like, yeah, I guess the effort and the wanting it is more than anything. What got that Turkey done? Because I mean, I wouldn't have been out there for that long if I didn't really like, you know, yeah. The, the end result meant a lot to me. Like, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the journey is, is a lot of it. The story is a lot of it, but like sometimes the story is made because you are so determined to get the end result, you know, well, that was, enhances the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Getting success enhances the story. But what I'm saying is like the whole five hours of me crawling around with those things wouldn't have happened if I had given up on it, you know, mm-hmm. um, which maybe, Maybe my neck wouldn't have hurt. (laughs) I think, you know, like my major takeaway kind of segueing off of yours is turkeys 
if you put that little extra yard yardage in or like little extra drive into turkey hunting, like you're going to be successful almost every year because not everybody's willing to do that. You know, yeah. and our circumstances, it's like, you know, a, like if you were whitetail hunting, you're only a mile off the road or sometimes I'm actually closer to the road. But like if you're farther off trying to get away from people, like in whitetail terms, like that might not be far. Or elk terms, that's nothing. But when it comes to turkeys, miles a long ways for most yeah. hunters. But think about it this way, too, is if you're a mile in with a deer, you got a deer to pull out. If you're a mile in with a turkey, you only got a turkey to carry out. That's the truth. So why don't you go further? That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I love turkey. And I could talk about this forever, honestly. I, yeah. I People call me crazy. My friends call me crazy. But I, I almost don't even know if I like turkey hunting better or elk hunting better. And you probably one of them that would come, come crazy. <laughs> it's just so fun, man. When I hear an elk bugle, it's kind of like my stomach drops because I'm just like, I'm about to hike for four miles up 2,000 feet and not kill an elk. Like, you know, like get, get so depressed sometimes. It's so hard. Turkeys, it's like, sure, they'll frustrate you for sure. Like they're, they yeah. can run you in circles. But when you hear a gobble, I'm just excited. I'm like, okay, here we go. It's like with a bugle, obviously hearing bugles is awesome, but at the same time, it's like almost, it's almost like this is going to hurt going after this elk, you know, you might switch, you might switch, you'll become a better elk hunter. That'll switch. Well, it was hard to beat my, it was hard to beat my elk last year being three quarters of a mile from the truck. So yeah. 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 I think hopefully this gave you guys some, uh, ideas off of our stories to what to use this coming whenever opener is in your state wednesday for you man that's that's the Um, day after tomorrow wednesday for me yeah hopefully i can put some uh birds to the night night and then put them to the dirt nap the next day (laughs) you know yeah and then i'm going out saturday and we'll see how maddie does and then i'll definitely be out sunday on my own yeah that'll be good hopefully next week we got highlights on what happened <laughs> this end of this week so yeah this will be great going into hunting season because like now we're telling what we did over the weekend which is not actually hunting and then we're telling hunting stories but next episode and from <laughs> then on you get a hunting story and another hunting story one yep, will be shorter yep. and one will be longer <laughs> yep exactly but i think hopefully you enjoyed i think to conclude this it would be what's the famous quote quote of this podcast right now or today's episode hunt the turkey and not the gobble all right good luck everybody out there